Father, we thank you that uh, you speak to us in the Bible and we pray that you will speak to us tonight. And we pray that you open our eyes to see the great uh, uh, honor of following the Lord Jesus and help us to be wise in who we listen to and who we don't as we seek to follow him. And we pray that for your glory. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 21, verses 1 to 16. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from that, Batara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us the house of Menason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Well, the children have gone, so we'll begin with uh, our question, which is, who's the one we should ignore if we want to follow Jesus? Who's the one we shouldn't listen to? Now, when we did this in the Farsi class earlier, 
someone said Satan. Well, that's a very good starting suggestion. Don't listen to him. Other people who live in Britain might say, well, don't listen to the atheists. They fill the place and they say that there is no God. Don't listen to them. Or other people would say, well, don't listen to the agnostics. They say you can't know if there's a God or not and don't listen to them either. But, oh, that's good advice. I just don't think that that's a problem for any one of you because none of you are likely to do any of those things because you all read the Bible and you want to listen to what the Bible says. So here's the surprise discovery from this passage. Who might stop you following Jesus? The shocking answer is Christians who love you very much. Did I say that again? Because you made you blink, didn't it? Who's most likely to stop you following Jesus, as you should? It's Christians who love you very much. And it happens here in this passage. People love Paul very much. And it's very interesting, isn't it, that people say Paul is the one in the Bible who says such hard things and many people in the churches today say that if Paul and you were in the same room it's best to keep as far away from him as you can because he'll make you feel uncomfortable. What Luke tells us in verse 1 is that when people were with Paul, Paul had to tear himself away from them. It actually says in verse 1 of chapter 21, when we had parted from them, but literally what it says is, when we had torn ourselves away from them. Because people loved him so much. If you are a Christian, you will love meeting Paul in the future. And people will have to tear you away from him. He is that great company. But it's Christians that made it hard for him at this stage. And I want to teach two things. One, the best Christians in the world will tell you, you must suffer. Number two, the best Christians in the world will support you in your suffering. Let me start with the first thing. The best Christians will tell you that you'll suffer. Now, you know from last week and chapter 20 and verse 23 that God, by his Spirit, told Paul that suffering awaited him. Chapter 20, verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions wait me. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit had told Paul. And he did just tell Paul. He told the Christians in Troas as well. Because if you look at chapter 21 and verse 4, Paul's there for a seven-day stopover on his way to Jerusalem. And in chapter 21, verse 4, through the Spirit, the Christians there were telling Paul, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So there's the Spirit in chapter 20 saying, Paul, 
Good the cities and affliction awaits you. And here are Christians in chapter 21, verse 4 says, don't go to the city where affliction awaits you. And he's been there for seven days. That's seven days of non-stop pressure saying, don't go. Okay? So they're all telling him, God's told him, suffering awaits, and the Christians are saying, don't go. <coughs> and he leads them to another place. He goes to Caesarea in verse 8, and he gets the same message. A prophet called Agabus comes in verse 10, and he effectively acts out what will happen to Paul, that he'll be bound. And this time, even Paul's traveling companions in verse 12, and that includes Luke, who wrote this book. He's there at the time, and he tells us in chapter 21, verse 12, after they'd finished listening to Agabus, when they heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Every single person is saying, don't go. And you can see how hard it was for Paul to hear this again and again and again. He says in verse 13, why are you saying this? You're breaking my heart. I've got to go. It's a bit like... Uh, uh, dear Catherine, who works in theatre, coming to me, if I have to have a knee, knee operation, I fear I might have to. And if she came to me and she said, Mike, uh, uh, I once saw it done in theatre, and I watched it again on the replay in television, let me tell you, uh, these operations are pretty gruesome. I can tell you how the knife goes in, I can tell you how they get the saw out and they, they saw away, and I can tell you also that the recovery time afterwards, you will not be walking without pain for months. It's going to be uh, very, very difficult. You still want to go through with this? Well, that's not going to be any help to me at all, is it? Here are Paul's friends, close to God, close to him, and they're saying, you sure you want to go ahead with this? Isn't it time for a rethink, Paul? God's told you that uh, you're going to suffer, and now the friends are saying, don't suffer. Isn't it time to maybe change where you're going? And Paul says in verse 13, let me tell you how I look at it. I still see suffering, but I also see massive, massive privilege. Look at verse 13. Because he says, Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. It would be such a privilege if that happened to me. I can't say no to an opportunity like that. See, seeing the sign, suffering ahead on the road, doesn't mean that we've got to change speed or alter direction. All the sign is really telling me is authentic gospel road ahead. Keep going, and it will be a privilege with every step. To say, Christian, don't suffer, is another way of saying, Christian, 
don't evangelize. Put suffering in a box and you put, be putting evangelism away as well. Two go hand in hand. Jesus told a story once about four soils and the seed planted in four soils. And he said the seed that was the genuine growing seed is the one that landed in the fourth soil which bore good fruit and when a seed produces good fruit what essentially that's telling you is that the plant is producing more plants. That's how fruitfulness works if you're a plant. Well, the Christian in good soil will produce other Christians. But the second soil in that story was the soil of suffering. And if you give up and the root just dries out when the suffering comes and you turn away from the suffering, well, there's certainly going to be no fruit. The plant's gone. Now, the best Christians, therefore, will tell you suffering is ahead, guaranteed, if you step out there and tell unbelievers about Jesus. It won't happen, guaranteed, if you have all your conversations in the church. Everyone's nice. But stand for Jesus where you interface with the world outside and you'll suffer. Debbie did some uh, 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 online training this week as part of her job on equality and diversity. And in that training, she learnt that faith is a lifestyle choice Whereas your sexual orientation, on the other hand, is a human condition. Faith is a lifestyle choice. Sexuality is a human condition. No choice, in other words. Which is why Lillian Liddell, a Christian who registered marriages in Islington, who said that her faith wouldn't allow her to conduct gay marriages Why she lost her job rather than the Islington Council finding some other registrar who will do those weddings for her she actually lost her job because she was putting her faith against a human condition and in that stage when faith meets the world there is going to be clash and cost. Same with a Christian baker, Asher's Bakery, who refused to bake a cake for uh, a person wanting to publicize gay marriage. And he spent the next four years in a courtroom. It's not easy when your Christian faith comes into real-life contact with the world. And it will on these issues because the world is really charging down the track on this particular matter. But there will be other matters, not just this. Those are just examples. But other situations where you put Jesus into the conversation and people will object. 
So you won't suffer if you keep your faith in church, but you will suffer if you take your faith outside church. And the best Christians will warn it'll be like this. And ignore them if they tell you it needn't be like this. That's what uh, Paul does, even with that respected prophet Agabus. Although everyone immediately said, if Agabus said that, then we must stop immediately and turn round. But Paul would even overrule such a one. Which tells you there's a difference between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets. If an Old Testament prophet tells you to do something and you don't do it, you will be put to death. And if you want to scribble a note on that, it's Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verses 19 and 20. That is what happens if you disobey an Old Testament prophet. But when a New Testament prophet says something, well, you weigh it up. And there are times when you will do what they say and times when you don't. And you certainly wouldn't if they tell you to stay away from suffering for the gospel. And so Paul overrules Agabus. Only listen if they tell you to go public about Jesus and guarantee suffering. Trust them. Because, yes, they love you, but they love the gospel more. Therefore, their encouragement will be Christian encouragement. And not just simply out of a false sense of love. Okay? The best encouragements, uh, best Christians will tell you there will be suffering. Second point. The best Christians will support you in your suffering. And that's what God provides. Paul, in, in every port, if you look at all those unpronounceable names, He's on his way to suffer, but in Tyre they found Christians and stayed with them a week. In verses 4 and 5. In Ptolemy's, in verse 7, they greeted the brothers, that includes sisters, and they stayed there for a day. In Caesarea, they stayed with Philip a number of days, if you look at verse 8, and especially verse 10. Now, you might remember Philip. He was a missionary that we met early on when we studied the book at the uh, very beginning. And you might remember that he was the one who spoke to an Ethiopian eunuch, and at the end of speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch, he ended up at the end of chapter 8 in this place called Caesarea. And clearly, he had settled there, he had brought up a family, which included four unmarried daughters at home who prophesied. Someone once said it's because he had four unmarried daughters at home who prophesied that Philip was always off on missionary trips. Um, but actually his mission trips were 20 years earlier. Now he's a happily married man with family and a lovely place to stay for many days. And incidentally, that's probably when Luke found out about those early days in Acts when Luke wasn't there. Luke doesn't turn up until Acts chapter 16. 
But you might remember that uh, way back in Acts chapter 6, there was a bit of a disagreement between widows. And that's when Philip entered the scene. And Philip would have been able to tell Stephen, fill in the gaps in those early days and tell them about the widows and how he and Stephen were appointed to be one of the seven. That's referred to here. And Stephen then went on uh, to die. And all those details that probably Philip knew and no one else did, now he's with Luke, he'd be able to tell Luke the full story. And so Luke's able to give us the full story as well when he writes his book. And now they leave Caesarea and they finally get to Jerusalem in verse 17. Uh, and you see that there's more brothers who receive them gladly. So Christians all the time, everywhere, goes and that's why we come together as Christians in Beckentry Church we come together in church so that we can meet up like Paul met up with these Christians and support each other so we can keep evangelizing when we leave church we don't just come here to have a good time and talk amongst ourselves we come here to keep each other on task, which is to say, keep going. Let me support you. That's why I'm here with you today, to support you in the hard work of standing up for Jesus when you get outside this week. Now, you might think, actually, this lot aren't doing a very good job. They're more discouraging Paul than encouraging him, which is true at the start. But you see in verse 14 how they come round to supporting him and they recognize this is God's will and they tell him that. Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. In other words, okay, we can see this is God's will. And we're now clear with you about that. So they are supporting him in the sense that they have now encouraged him to see that that is where God wants him to go and you can see how there's more encouragement even before that point in verse 5 they are praying with him they don't want him to suffer so they pray as they say goodbye and ask God to strengthen him you see the church works really really well when it is promising suffering and supporting suffering. But the church works really badly when it is denying suffering and telling you it shouldn't be a part of your Christian life. But this church, well, they do support him. They say, this is God's will for you. They say, we'll pray for you. And when they get him into their homes, they're saying, we'll spend time with you. Different ways they supported Paul on the way to Jerusalem. Well, what does that mean for us? It means that if you're not a Christian, it would be wrong for anyone to say, become a Christian and you'll sail out of all your troubles into wonderful calm waters, rather like that lovely picture of the road that, Paul, that Rob put in front of us to start the service. It's wrong for anyone to say, this is what the picture will be like. 
it's more like this is what the picture will be like when you are isolated and attacked. Don't want to put you off because ultimately what we want to say to you is that following Jesus is what you were made to do. You were made to live in God's image, which is Jesus. And therefore, it is the very, very best way for anyone to live. And he will one day make your suffering worthwhile with his eternal comfort. And in the meantime, he will provide people to support you through those times. But there will be hard times. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, understand that is how it will be. But still follow Jesus. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been to church, may I suggest it's really easy to find churches that tell you that suffering should be avoided. So if you're sick, let's heal you. If you're poor, Let's make you prosperous. If you're feeling a bit down, let's get you into church and we'll have some wonderful singing and songs and anything to build you up and make you feel better. The feel-good factor is what we'll create for you when you walk through our doors. <laughs> and we won't tell you the Bible that says, set your face to suffer for the gospel. And my friends, the best thing to do with churches like that is to forget them, not listen to them. Some of them will be like Agabus, in other words, genuinely mistaken because they have care but it is misplaced. But in other cases, and more likely, they are going to be false teachers with a false gospel because in the Old Testament, it is the false prophet that says, peace, peace. When there won't be any peace and where you won't therefore be provided or um, uh, equipped to face the future. Don't listen. Or it may be that you're a genuine believer. And let me try and be the best help to you by saying that it is impossible for you to stand in public as a Christian and to try and win people to Jesus without suffering. If you don't want to do it, stick yourself in soil too and realize your time following him is going to be short because in the end it is what Paul said not just for himself but for all Christians in chapter 14 verse 22 just glance back it's worth it because in chapter 14 verse 22 Paul says he strengthened the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not an optional. And if you're going to be a Christian, then this is how the road ahead 
will be experienced through many tribulations, you enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Paul set his face to go to Jerusalem. Remember last week we saw how Paul was just like Jesus in so many ways? And Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Paul set his face to go to Jerusalem. And you, if you're going to follow Jesus, you will need, and I will need, to set our faces to realize that there will be suffering for the gospel in our future as well. And I need you to tell me that because I don't want to face reality and you need me to tell you that because you don't want to face reality either. And we'd be the best Christians we can be to each other if we kept saying that. But in addition to that, we need to support each other in the battles of the weak and to say to each other, keep going. You haven't got it wrong. This is God's will for you. I know it's hard, but this is God's will for you. Don't give up. Don't change speed. Don't alter direction. Now look, it's true that we can bring suffering on ourselves by foolish decisions we've made in the past or we can bring suffering by says talking about Jesus but talking about it in a very superior way that in the end makes it seem like everybody else is wrong and we're the only ones that are right and I'm not talking about suffering that in that sense is partially deserved but even if we do it perfectly and speak to our friends about the Lord Jesus with all humility and love and care then let me say it will still make life difficult and we need the best Christians in our fellowship not to say back off leave it alone don't try anymore but to say, come, let me pray with you in verse 5. Come, stay with me and let me look after you and love you in verse 8. And come, let me encourage you that this is God's will for you in verse 14. And friends like that in any church are wonderful friends to have and they will be the key to you bearing much fruit week by week out in the world. Let me stop there and let me ask you to pray uh, what God might be saying to you through this and then I'll pray and then we'll look at a question or two after that. One minute of prayer for us to take in what God would be saying to us through this part of the Bible. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, would you help us as a church to set our faces 
to suffer in our desire to make the Lord Jesus known and give us wisdom not to listen to those who tell us there's an easier way to be Christians and who will stop us bearing fruit. We pray this in his name. Amen.